I'm speaking with composer Joseph uh, Estabisi here in his lovely home in Los Angeles. Uh, Joseph has made an amazing career as one of the industry's premier music editors and composers. Uh, his work as a composer and music editor spans across such films as doing additional music for What's Eating Gilbert Grape to being a music editor on uh, films like Book of Eli, uh, Prisoners, and many, many more. Recently, Joseph worked with Clint Eastwood on the score for American Sniper, which just shattered box office predictions and records on its wide release opening weekend. Uh, Joseph, uh, thanks so much for inviting me to your home and speaking today. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming. So I always like to start and learn about a composer's kind of path to their uh, career. So when did you start... I guess with music and what was that kind of turning point that pushed you towards film and, and composing? I started playing trumpet from an early age, uh, fourth grade being a trumpet player and played in all bands mm -hmm. and got into junior high and high school and played in bands there and then um, come time for college I uh, went to the University of Massachusetts to study classical trumpet and uh, did that for a year and a half and then realized that's not the direction I wanted to go into it so I went to Berkeley College of Music and uh, wanted to really study jazz. Mm -hmm. uh, so within the first month that I was there, there was a, uh, a trumpet brass um, conference, uh, and um, not really a conference, but really a gathering. There's not a whole lot of trumpet players there. Uh, the, the, school is, um, the school is mainly guitar players, pianists, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Uh, so it was probably about 25 of us in this room, and there was a young trumpet player up on the stage giving a, a lecture. And uh, sitting next to him was the lead trumpet player from the Boston Symphony Orchestra. And this young kid, he was a senior in high school, played amazingly. It was just classical, it was just beautiful. His jazz was amazing. Um, he was like double-tonguing, triple-tonguing, circular breathing. I, I, I was just blown away by this player, and I thought, I'm in trouble. If this is what's out there, I'll never make a living as a player. Mm -hmm. um, I felt I was pretty good, but not like that. Yeah. So that threw me into a crisis. Um, and for the next week or two, I just did a lot of soul-searching walking the streets of Boston. And one night I heard some music that was um, right around Boylston Street, and just I just fell in love with it. What is that? So I followed it to a second-story window. It was at night, so I didn't know what that was. The following day I went there and I was like, oh, this is one of Berkeley's buildings. Walked up the flight of stairs, and it was a film scoring department. Oh, wow. And um, I didn't even know there was such a thing. And I changed my major right then and there and, um, and never looked back, really. Wow. It was really great. And so, yeah, and the little caveat to the story is that that trumpet player was Wynton Marsalis. Oh, wow. So he was a young <laughs> high schooler, just came in and just blew the doors out of all of us. And, yeah. and that's the impact that it had on me, <laughs> which I'm eternally grateful for. Right. You know, it, oftentimes you get into the place of crisis, but you find gold. Mm -hmm. you know, and you stick with it. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I uh, studied there and um, graduated from Berkeley. Upon graduating, I was able to do a docudrama, scored the docudrama, um, and then uh, came out to Los Angeles to start to try to find work, like mm -hmm. we all do. Right. And um, so that was an interesting time. It was... Um, Difficult to find work, as I'm sure everybody can relate to. Um, and uh, eventually found myself in New York City working as a music editor. And um, my first 
feature film was Dirty Dancing. Oh, wow. And that opened the door for me to do a lot more music editing work. Right. Uh, even though my love and passion was for composition, and that's what I studied at Berkeley. And so, you know, you just, you go where the water flows. Right. And uh, over a number of years, I would compose a one little thing here, but then do more editing here mm -hmm. and another composition here and then a bunch more editing jobs. Um, I started doing some of the first temp scores. Uh, we didn't always do temp scores. Right, right. And um, so in New York, I, I would really love doing temp scores. It was like composing for me. You right, know? yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, and it just kind of kept on progressing. And um, about five years ago, I made a real conscious decision that if I'm going to compose, I've got to make a choice right. and start um, really focusing on composition, getting short films, um, low budget films, no budget films, whatever mm -hmm. I can get my hands on and start getting involved in that area um, and those people. And right. um, so... Yeah, five years later, I would never that's dream a, that I would be here and have to work with Clint Eastwood on American <laughs> Sniper. So, yeah. Uh, you know, um, you I know before we get to American Sniper, though, you, you mentioned, you know, your amazing career as a music editor. Um, but, I mean, for those who don't know, what exactly is the role of a music editor? I mean, are you working during the recording sessions with the composer? Or are you working at all during the edit of the film, the cutting of the film, the, where the music is placed for like spotting and mm -hmm. sessions like that? I mean, how does that work as a music editor's role? Uh, music editor's role varies quite a bit. And um, there are times where you're called on during production to prepare music for playback for any kind of music that's going to be shot mm -hmm. uh, on location. Um, and so you're there working with producers, musical arrangers, uh, musical directors, mm -hmm. uh, preparing click tracks, uh, sometimes just arranging studio space, whatever you can do to assist and make it happen. Mm -hmm. um, and then you move forward into doing a temp score, as I had mentioned earlier about doing temp scores. Right. Not every music editor does a temp score, and then there are some music editors out in Los Angeles uh, that just do temp scores. Yeah, just temp editors. That's, yeah. that's their gig. And um, and so that's part of a music editor's role. And then once you... And that happens during a director's cut, usually. Okay. Sometimes it's like the fourth weekend and a picture editor would really like to have somebody help massage a scene or right. what works, what doesn't work. Um, I always like temping because it helps... A, you're allowed to fail. You're... you're Part of your job is to go, oh, this doesn't work. Right. Find what doesn't work. Yeah. yeah. And that's so valuable. Um, the hard thing is for a composer, a lot of the creative exploration has already been done. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's difficult. That's yeah. a difficult situation. And whenever I'm temping, I try to involve a composer as much as I'm, I'm able. Sometimes a composer's not even on board yet. Wow. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it varies, and you just try to be flexible with everything. So from there, you're once you're done with temping, you're then helping the composer get prepared for the recording session, which you're preparing all of the Pro Tool sessions for that. You're getting any of the pre-records, you're lining them up with click tracks, you're helping the orchestrator make sure that MIDI is aligning with with um, pre-records that click tracks are matching up with 
what's printed on the page for the score. You're responsible for uh, all the technical aspects of a recording session. And then you do go to the recording session and you're there, your eyes and ears as well with the composer, mm -hmm. you're listening, you're taking notes, you're, you're being an asset in any way you can. Right. And um, then you go follow through with the mix and you're there uh, and you know where all the bones are buried in the, in the mix. Mm -hmm. So you're, you understand where everything lies, what the intent of the composer was, what the director is hoping for. Right. Um, and from there you take it to the dub stage and you're there to represent the music to make sure it works well with picture that everything is blended nicely with dialogue and with sound and it's always good to have good working relationships with your your engineer your re-recording engineer um, sound sound supervisor sound editors because it's a collaborative effort and when you have good relationships you have an amazing soundscape yeah yeah and from after that a music editor must pull all the stuff all the music together for delivery does a music cue sheet um, Turns everything in, packs up, and goes home. Wow, <laughs> that's a that's a long list of qualifications <laughs> that are needed. It's a lot. It's a lot of work. Um, but I can't. I can imagine it's such a amazing kind of training for that kind of role in the industry, and to, to learn and to like sit and almost. I mean, learn really from the inside out. Yeah, it really is. Working with different picture editors has um, taught me a different sensibilities. Um, working with different genres has taught right. me different sensibilities. Working with different composers have taught me that same thing. And as a composer, um, and having worked with other composers, you, well, I was able to glean little things that I loved mm -hmm. and put them in my little tool bag to go, oh, I want to try that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would never have thought of it approaching it this way. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, so for me, music editing has been an amazing training ground. Uh, in addition to, you know, you, you get an education, right? So you go to Berkeley and you get right. an education or you can go to any college, whatever, you know, you feel is good for you as a, a person who wants to be a composer and you, you learn the mechanics, you know, you learn your instrument ranges, you learn orchestration, you know, you learn all of that, the theory of music. Um, but the application of it. Yeah. is experience. Yeah, you can't be taught that Yeah, in the classroom. Yeah, and, <laughs> and having an openness about it all is, um, is so key, and there's a lot of fun for that exploration. Mm -hmm. So I'll you know, dive into American Sniper, which, my goodness, it you know broke a record or two this past <laughs> weekend. Uh -huh. So congrats on that. Thank I you. mean, how did this project come to you? You know, it placed you alongside... One of the greatest filmmakers of all time and you know to to work on the music with him who's also known for his music for his films as well i mean yeah. how did this project come to your doorstep um that's a great question and um it came through the picture editors um joel cox and gary roach mm -hmm. i have worked with them on the movie prisoners and uh, so they um they knew me and um one day uh I was at Warner Brothers visiting a friend. I had just um, called, or I think I called them, or maybe emailed them saying, hey, I'm going to be up at Warner's just visiting somebody. It's okay, I stop by, say hi. Yeah. And um, 
I got a reply, sure, come on by. And then about 15 to 20 minutes later, I got a text, so when are you gonna come by? Because we need some music in this film. And I knew they were working on Sniper, mm -hmm. and I'm like, uh, what? <laughs> so I went and met with them, and they explained to me the situation that was happening for them, that um, they, uh, originally Clint was not wanting to have any kind of music in any of the Iraq scenes or any kind of um, underscore, I should say, I shouldn't say music, underscore in the film because he wrote the piano themes already. Right. Uh, Taya's theme. He yes. already had that um, written and um, recorded. And, but during the editing process, both Joel and Gary felt like there needed to be some more emotional um, support. Right. Musically. So I went, we chatted about it. I met the producer, Rob Lorenz, as well, and we chatted about possibilities. Mm -hmm. And I um, went home, came here to my studio, and wrote about eight or ten pieces of music on spec. Just, yeah. I see what you're talking about. I think I understand the genre uh, of what you're looking for in this film and emotionally what you're looking for. And, and so I said, I'll write some stuff cut it in, take, see where it goes. You yeah. know, if, if you like it, great. And if Rob likes it, great. And if Clint likes it, great. You know, let's, let's, let's play. Right, <laughs> you yeah. Know? Um, and so that's what I did. And over a period of a month of hurdles, waiting a couple of weeks, not hearing anything, mm -hmm. getting a phone call, yeah, it's been cut in, and yeah, I like I it, <laughs> Rob likes it, gonna send something to Clint. Waiting another week or so, not hearing anything, thinking, oh, well, that's the end of that. Yeah. You know, <laughs> well, yeah, Clint likes it, and you know, we'll see what happens. And then finally the phone call, which is, would you be available to come in to meet with Clint to talk about the music that you've written and to see if there's possibilities here? And wow. like, absolutely. <laughs> and so that's what it, what happened. I went in and met with uh, Clint, and Bradley Cooper was there. He's the producer, producer on the yeah. film, and he was also in town doing ADR. So the timing worked out. And um, so my my first experience there was walking in the door, sitting down on a couch with me, Clint Eastwood, and Bradley Cooper. And um, I don't really have words to express yeah. how amazing that really was. <laughs> Now that's incredible. I mean, that's amazing how just yeah. stuff like that just develops and and happens. Um, so, I mean, did you have to? I mean, Clint, he is a musician as well. He's yes. a jazz musician, a composer, and he mm -hmm. writes for his films. Uh, I mean, did you have to adapt your workflow to accommodate a director who is also a composer? I mean, did it present more challenges? Was it he more critical about the music, or was it easier to speak to him musically that he you know knew everything like in musical terms? Um, I would have to say probably yes to all of that. <laughs> he, uh, it, it was very easy to speak with him mm -hmm. on musical terms. And um, he, he's a man who knows what he wants right. and um, is very uh, gracious and open to ideas. Mm -hmm. um, and it was really uh, a great experience to be able to talk about possibilities. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so it was really a, an openness in all of that, mm -hmm. and I'm just so grateful for his generosity in that right, way. Right, right. Um, I, I, there was never really any kind of friction or anything to that. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, he doesn't understand, or I don't understand him. Right, or, right. Um, there was a lot of 
latitude for me to try something. I'll try something there. Let's try something that way. So, yeah. That's how it should be, I think. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So did you guys have, uh, so you you kind of explained the process that it was a lot of kind of trial and error and seeing what worked. And you said you, you tried an orchestral score at first. I mean, so how did that process do? Like what did, what didn't work and how did the, I guess, final product come to be? Like what was the musical goal and how did you kind of achieve that? Yeah. Uh, Well, so after I sent up the spec cues, um, Joel Cox, the editor, um, edited them all in in areas along with some other uh, temp music that he had and um, and put that in the film. And so when I finally had my meeting, mm-hmm. there was a temp score already laid out. Um, and uh, with most of it, the stuff that I had written. And um, so once I came on board, it was I was under the impression that this is the score. So I needed to get it back into MIDI form. Mm-hmm. I needed to embellish. I needed to finesse. I, I needed to reorchestrate. Um, and so I went on that process of, of doing that. Uh, and it was an orchestral score that I had written mm-hmm. in, for those spec cues. So, um, so as I've gone through that process after a couple of days... Um, I had a show and tell with Clint and really the whole team, Bradley and right. Joel and Gary and Rob. And um, it was going really well. It's like, okay, there's a couple of cues, proved great, and did it. Um, then and a couple of days later, we did another one. And then I think at Friday, which was the end of my first week there, um, we did one more show and tell. And Clint. Um, it was it was good. We had cues approved, a couple of notes here and there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of a typical process. Right. And uh, Clint just turns to Rob and said, "Make sure he goes and hears the sound design." And um, and you know, Clint gets up and everybody kind of does their thing and, and and moves on. And I'm continue working. So Rob came back in and took me over to the sound designer's office. And um, while we were there, while we were walking over there, he said that. Clint's thinking about not using any music at all in these Iraq scenes. Just going with the sound design. Just going with sound design. And I'm like, oh, okay. Which uh, sounds like what typically he would do. Right. 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 Um, and so uh, we went down, sat down, listened to the sound design, and I totally understood why. Mm-hmm. It was pretty full. Right. And, um, and it was very electronic and it was spectacular Mm -hmm. and I said at that point it was like I understand why I said you know in the musical scenes it it's there but it does lack that extra emotionality Mm -hmm. that we would want to support right in in the scene Um, and uh, I said but I understand why an orchestral score is not going to work. I, I can see that. And I think that we need to discuss whether or not music is going to support sound design or, or right. what are we going to do here? So I asked the sound designer for uh, a stereo bounce of all of the music scenes mm-hmm. that we had spotted and started to rethink um, how the music should work in, in, in conjunction with the sound design. Uh, and so in that Monday... We, we had another meeting, uh, Rob, myself, um, Joel. I think Clint at that time had gone back to um, up in Carmel, where mm-hmm. he lives. And, uh, and we were just talking about how the, an orchestral score 
in these scenes in Iraq made us feel like it's a movie. Right. Like it's um, not like it's, I don't want to say that, because it, it's not like it needed to be a documentary. Right, know? right. But it didn't need to be like movie. Romanticized yeah, kind of. Well, yeah, a little bit too much sheen. You right, know? right. Um, so I, we just chatted about it. I said, well, why don't I just do an electronic score? Let's just go and do synth score and, and start matching sounds and start adding the emotional element that's not there. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you know, the reaction was, well, show us what you mean. Yeah. So I set out to do that. And, um, so that was how we progressed. Right. And so we canceled the orchestra date and, you know, changed all that stuff around and started refocusing on can, you know, what instruments are we going to record? Um, I did keep some orchestral instruments like French horns, mm -hmm. um, bass clarinets, because I wanted the the reediness, the kind of grovelly right. sound down low, uh, strings of course, and um, and then a host of sounds that you go through a palette and you start tweaking and right. going, oh, this would be interesting. Well, I'm not sure about that, and and there was a, a real concern about. Staying away from ethnic sounds, right? You know, which a lot of the modern warfare films, right, they kind it's, of it, become a, almost a cliche now, right? Yeah, and um, and I should say that before I wrote these spec cues, I asked uh, I asked Rob for copies of um, letters from Iwo Jima and mm -hmm. Flags of Our Fathers. I right. wanted to see how Clint handled um, war, right, music, right. And uh, it was a very interesting study to see how all of that was handled. And for me, what I perceived was uh, there's lots of subtlety and music was not narrative mm -hmm. so much, but more commentary. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, that really made a difference in my approach because... Um, Rather than being narrative to tell you, this is bad, this is bad, here we go, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's more like you let the scene play and then have let the actor have a moment, mm -hmm. the moment, and and then the music responds as though the audience would respond. Right, right, yeah. And so it was really, uh, um, it was very helpful for me. Um, and so as I went back into rethinking the synth score, it was really focusing in on that element because, you know, go back to the orchestral score, I really didn't have much control on that because it was already edited and tempted. Mm. And so there was just a different approach to it. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so we moved forward. I kept on writing and we sent things up to Clint and uh, within a week we're in the recording session. Wow. So it was about a week to get it all, all done. <laughs> And um, and yeah, and it still wasn't sure whether that Clint wanted to use it. Wow. It was just you know we just it wasn't until we're on the dub stage and it's like okay that stayed in, let's see what happens <laughs> in the next room. <laughs> so it was um, it was exciting. Yeah, like kept on the edge of your seat kind of process. <laughs> so the film. Uh, it's it's getting a lot of attention because it, you know it's based on a real person's mm -hmm. life, Chris Kyle, who you know um, tragically was murdered. Um, did the fact that 
Chris Kyle himself was involved in this project, you know, before he was murdered. His family was involved. Did that put a sense of pressure, a sense of responsibility when you were working on this? Or did you kind of... I mean, it's not a documentary, but it's mm. almost an homage to this man's life. Mm. I mean, did that put more weight on this project than a normal fictional kind of project? Um, I think the weight came from the story itself. Mm -hmm. Not so much of the family's involvement. Uh, there's a lot of honor, uh, honoring of the family and respect for the family. Right. Um, and, and I've heard... Um, you know, I've heard Bradley even say, you know, not directly to me, but, you know, while we're in the dub stage or whatever, how important it is to really reflect Chris Kyle in an, in an authentic way, in the mm -hmm. way he was. Um, and so it was, it was on our minds to, to be respectful in it because the, the film is a, it's a, it's a human story, right? you know? Um, and it's a tragic story, yeah. and I think that is the focus, um, at least for me, was the emotional thread, and following all following that through. Mm -hmm. um, that that was the the most important thing I found, um, and never once did I feel pressure mm -hmm. because family involvement. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was just it was the story itself. Mm -hmm was important to right. to honor it and um so because in that situation i mean how did you treat this film because it you know the war genre you can write critical essays about you know what what is war what are war films there's so many different types of war films i mean was this a memorial a film that was memorial to this man's life or was it an examination of ptsd or was it meant to show brutality of modern warfare i mean how did that how did Clint treat it, kind of tell you what this film was about, and did that kind of affect how you approach the score at all? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, well, you know, Clint never sat down with me and talked to me about his vision. Right. right? It, it's evident on the screen. Right. Um, and so I can only tell you what my, uh, my feelings and, mm -hmm. and opinion uh, is about the approach or how I felt about it and mm -hmm. I never felt it was a war story it, mm -hmm. it was a human story that takes place in a war and it became a tragic story uh, about a, a, a man who got wrapped up into something and almost lost it yeah um, but worked hard to come back and ground himself and you know, do you call it irony, tragedy, the you know, losing his life and helping others yeah. back home? So that that to me is what the story was about. It just happened to be wrapped up in a in a war that becomes highly charged uh, in in politics and lots of people's right. opinions, and I understand that. And I think the writer uh, he said that he saw it as a western in a way. Do you, do you see that at all? I I did hear that. Um, <laughs> Because I'm a huge Western you fan, and I couldn't say that. Yeah. I can see how. But looking at genre one archetypes, look at that you know, and say and come up with that. Yeah. Again, uh, for me, I guess it's because I follow emotional threads. Right. Right. More than, um, uh, I don't want to say more than genre, but genre kind of dictates. Yeah. Instrumental color. 
Mm-hmm. Right? And some style. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, musically speaking. Right, right. Uh, the emotionality, the story, dictates what you're writing. The, the text. Right. Versus subtext. And so... Um, I never looked at this as war story. You need to have these kind of instruments. Okay. Da, 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 you know what I mean? Right. It, I looked at it as human story. Right. Where's the heart in this and how do we want to support it? Okay. How do we, you know, one of the earlier discussions that I had on my first meeting with um, Rob, Joel, and Gary is that I can see how easy this is to become melodrama with the wrong kind of music. Right, absolutely, yeah. It's because there's so much emotion already on the screen. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons why we also had little, uh, not that much music. It wasn't 40 minutes worth of score. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it didn't need it. You know, the emotion, the emotion was already there. Right. Um, and that's what um, I tend to zero in on is cinematic language that's going to help me understand the scenes and what the story is of the scene Mm -hmm. and the emotional feeling of, is it all there? Do we need a little bit more? Do we need a little less? Do we need commentary? What does music need to say Mm -hmm. if it needs to say anything at all? Right. If it's needed, yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so the, the war aspect of it all or the Western or any of that kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. honestly, just didn't even come across my screen. Wow. Well. <laughs> yeah. So, what was your reaction when you read the weekend box office numbers? <laughs> it's a um, MLK weekend. My reaction was, what does this mean? What does this mean? <laughs> what, what does this mean? And I was... Uh, what happens next? What, yeah. what is this? What? And my wife, Krista, was like, this is good. Just breathe and just let it all happen. You know? And, it, and that's really, you know, it... it seem to be like a, a wave that you just yeah you just ride it you just right. watch it happen you're not in control you yeah. mean, we're not in control of anything anyway right and um but it, it was like you know how do you respond to it i guess that's what you're in control of right yeah. your responses to things and it just was be open <laughs> it was quite exciting it still is i, know. I mean i'm seeing more things happening now and uh, in terms of people's responses and um, commentaries from other people about what it felt meant to them, uh, just people that I know who have been in military, right? Um, uh, it, yeah, it's, it's such a huge impact. I mean, the, uh, how do you feel as a composer knowing that your work was heard by that huge audience? I mean, not just a national audience, but it's you know doing business internationally too. I mean, your music is now worldwide and even though they might not know it they're not you know know who yeah. you are but it's you know affecting them in the, the narrative i mean it, that's it, must be profound for a composer it is and it's humbling mm-hmm. um it uh i, I tend I, I don't want to think about it too much because yeah. it makes me well up and get emotional because mm-hmm. um you know you're in this to help people connect yeah connect to themselves connect to their world and their environment and people in their lives. I think that's part of the purpose of movies, right? We go into a dark room, it's safe, we watch this film, you start relating to people on the screen and you're moved. And to be part of that process is um, an honor, it's humbling, it's exciting. Um, And to think of it on a grand scale, the question you just asked is, um, 
I think, too hard for me to fathom. <laughs> there we go. So to, to wrap up, um, I always love to ask composers this one question. Um, okay. That's not related to you know the film or anything, but if you could score any film ever made, pretending the score original score never existed, pretending it never even came to be, so it's a blank slate, what film would you choose? I think I did. This is what an honor and an amazing opportunity it was to work with a man like Clint Eastwood. Wow, okay. And on a film like this that has uh, the story of such impact. Mm. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, it's not <laughs> like I, I, I can't go, gee, I wish I did Star Wars. Right. I don't feel that way. Yeah, yeah. I feel very honored and proud to be a part of this film. And I think this was, this is a dream job. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's so, sounds that's a cliche, great, great answer. Yeah, but honestly, that's that's really how I feel. <laughs> well, maybe a little bit more generically. What's your fa- what's your favorite genre to score? My favorite genre to score is psychological thriller. Okay. I if Clint Eastwood was going to do a Michael Clayton type mm-hmm. film, I would be like, please, sir, may I have another? <laughs> may I please do that film? Well, those are always the those are the most fun scores too. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I absolutely love getting into the mind. Yes, of, yeah. of the characters and interpreting that musically without overstepping and and giving us room to play mm-hmm. in that area. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Love doing that. Yeah. Well, that's a great answer, too. That's one of my favorite genres. Um, <laughs> Joseph, thank you so much for your time. Thank uh, you. Thanks so much for inviting me to your home and, and uh, speaking. It's been a really enlightening experience, so thank you. No, thank you very much. I'm, I'm, I'm honored.